What's cracking, lovely people? Welcome back to the Big Feed Up HQ podcast, the podcast about nutrition, movement, outdoor experiences, powered by 33 Fuel, who produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products. I'm your host. My name is Matt Gardner, as always. I'm a registered nutritional therapist. And look, let's get into things. I hope you're well. I hope you're maintaining social distance and uh, staying at home. Um, obviously, if you listen to this, it's pretty sunny in the UK at the moment, which is pretty fresh. So that's good for morale. Um, and hopefully I can give you some uh, nuggets today, something valuable, interesting. And uh, look, let's get into it. I've got a entrepreneur, a businessman, a chef, someone um, who I've, I found out about through uh, Fueling for Function. Uh, he's written a few books, uh, co-written a few books with a physiologist, uh, called Feed Zone Portables, but um, mate, let's let's have a bit of a chat. He's waiting patiently. It's uh, Biju from uh, mate. Where are you? Where are you again at the moment in the US? I'm, at Denver. I'm in Denver, Colorado. So I'm basically 25 minutes away from Boulder, which you know everybody knows about in the cycling universe. Um, so yeah, I can basically get out of my house, ride my bike north about 15, 20 miles, and I'm in Boulder. Amazing. So that's cool. Just west of downtown Denver. Cool. Well, look, it's you know, it's yeah. it's it's definitely important to kind of address the current climate and things. So, how how are you doing? And and obviously, you're you're at home as much as possible as well. But obviously, I've, mo- most of my listeners are, are UK based, so it's good to get someone on from the US and just hear how things are going. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we're all experiencing some version of the same story right now, which uh, which is definitely brutal. And you know, uh, for some reason, I think. Cyclists and athletes uh, tend to be, or we're seeing at least here, seem to be a bit more patient with the whole thing because, you know, we're all kind of in it together. We also all understand how very fragile our health is. Um, Last week, we got snow every day here, and we were pushing about 12 to 15 degrees Fahrenheit weather, so it was miserable and cold. Now we're back to 70 degrees Fahrenheit this week. So you'll see a few people out and about, and Alan, who you mentioned, my co-author, uh, physiologist, Alan started Scratch Labs. Alan and I go and ride these farm roads way north of Boulder on our gravel bikes, you know, just the two of us, pretty quiet, pretty mellow. We've been getting out and doing that, so that's been really nice to keep me sane, but otherwise, you just kind of keep them locked down and trying to avoid being around too many people. Mm, mm. Uh, have you all had any protests happening in the cities about people who want to get back to Life that's happening here right now. We're having people protesting really? lockdowns. Really? No. Well, I think it's been pretty amazing here. Everyone's been really compliant. Obviously, they've they've tried to keep things amicable in terms of you know there's no like forced lockdown. As in, I'm sure police are breaking up like small gatherings of young people having barbecues and stuff. But we haven't had any issues yet of you know actual force. Whereas I know in, in some European countries and things, and, and I've got a couple of mates in like Dubai and places like that too, or friends of friends who have said it's, you know, there's a, it's a bit more forceful in certain places and people are picking up some heavy fines, but there's yeah. no, nothing to report here at the moment. So what, people are on the street kind of wanting to, to crack on where you are? Yeah, yeah, we've had a lot of that here where there's people on the street like, no, no, we need to be, uh... and there's nothing really forced lockdown here, but we've had... Um, you know, just general quarantining and social distancing and whatnot, but most of the business aren't open and the national parks aren't open, the beaches aren't open, you know, the mountains aren't open. So I think more than anything, people are frustrated that they have to, they can't go anywhere. Yeah. And folks that really need to make a living because the financial situation is really difficult here. 
and that some funding was released, but not really, not a lot of people got any money. And uh, so, you know, when you're out of money and you can't work and you got to make bills, you got to find food, it's, it all starts to add up in a hurry. And a lot of that is just a, the cultural part of being in America and being American, where we're very much a frontier, I'll do it myself, I'll do what I want sort of mentality. Mm. And, you know, you get that from both ends, from both the government and the individuals. So everybody's just kind of like, we'll do what we want. And, you know, in a way, it's kind of, you know, it's interesting and good at times, but also, I think you're seeing a lot of people hurting because of that right now. So, yeah. Yeah, it's harder to maybe come together and like state to state. Well, that's our perception over here anyway. State to state is kind of like they run themselves and things. But yeah, just the sheer size, mate. You know, we've got, probably get this wrong, but, you know, 60, 70 million or so over here. And you guys are, what, 300 million plus, aren't you? So it's a, it's a, you know, it's different kettle of fish, as we'd say, you guys over there. So it's, mate, it's a lot going on. But look, um, you know, one aspect of, of, of what you do as an entrepreneur and things are in it's in food, isn't it? So you had to close your restaurant kind of last minute. So it'd be cool. Obviously, that's probably not the right way to say it'll be cool, but it'd be good to let the listeners know um, a, a little bit about that side of things. And, and obviously, more recently, you've had to close things down. But um, yeah, you've got you've got a spot um, down the road from you, haven't you, that, that you uh, serve food and um, you set up, was it a couple of years ago, something like that? Yeah, yeah. So I've got, a, and I think a lot of the UK listeners will be way more appreciative of what I do than uh, Americans are. But I've got a curry shop, and but I've got a you know Indian food curry shop in the vein of what Chipotle does for burritos. So it's not yeah. you know the really cheap low end, and it's not the really super expensive high end. It's like really healthy, clean, Indian inspired food right in the middle. Um, the original goal was to open a bunch of them around the US. Um, my first one opened five years ago, and then since then we've opened uh, four in and around Colorado. I started opening up with um, Whole Foods markets around the U.S., and that was the plan. And we were getting there, and we just relaunched in February with finally the updated concept, and it was an amazing month. We had one solid, incredible month. You know, the best month in five years. <laughs> and then we had to shut it down the next day. So, um, and Indian food is a really tricky sell in the U.S. in that, you know, in the U.S., our national food is Mexican food. That's what, you know, Indian food in the U.K. is Mexican food in the U.S. But, uh, yeah, so I've had that for a number of years. Um, and my big store is just five-minute drive from my house. And we shut that uh, a month ago, March 9th, I think. We closed it down. But... Everybody closed down right around that week. Yeah. Streets are completely empty. Restaurants are completely closed. And people are still trying to do, you know, carry out or delivery, whatnot. But uh, yeah. that, it didn't make any sense for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I've been listening to like, a few food podcasts and things over here, and, and some of the restaurants and things I go to in London have, have set up a few kind of takeaways. But like you said, it's got to be right, isn't it? You don't just want to get into that if it's, if it's not something that you do. And, and um, like you said, also because of the. I don't know, the types of meals or the flavours or things like that, and you're only just starting to get tons of people in, um, yeah, then, you know, yeah. offering that takeaway. But it depends in, say, like, where, where I usually live in London. That's a huge thing. We've got these, like, uh, kind of, like, dark restaurants, the term is, I think it's called. So it's basically uh, we have a lot of places that are cooking, and there's no... There's no uh, waiters waitresses there's no customers they're basically just restaurants that are built for yeah. takeaway food 
So they're obviously absolutely thriving, you know, little kind of offshoots of Deliveroo. But then you've got other places that are just our standalone restaurants that are trying to do takeaway. But unless obviously you've got disposable income and, and you're used to using those apps and things and you're in the cities, most people are just trying to cook more themselves, really, which is unheard of for a lot of people, you know, banging out three meals a day now at home. Yes, quite a lot. Yeah, that, that's... I mean, that's pretty cool because that's happening here too. So in a way, I'm pretty happy that it's happening. Yeah. Because uh, everybody had gotten so far away from it. And it's funny, like this morning, because we're talking, you wanted to talk about the Feed Zone Portables. One of the texts I got this morning, I think she texted me at like six in the morning, is a friend of mine sending me a picture of the Belgian waffles we have in the Feed Zone table. She's like, look what we made for breakfast. Yeah. And this is a, she's another uh, business person here in the U.S. She has a beverage company, kids, and... You know, these are things finally people, whether good or bad, people are forced to kind of do a few things. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, everything that we're going through right now is going to affect the rest of our lives, right? The behavior, the habits, the things that we do, the time we're sharing with our friends and family right now, it's going to have a massive impact. So it's kind of cool to see that. So I'll take it. Mate, 100%, like you said, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's one aspect of what you do. And I think now people are starting to pick these books and resources and things up and, you know, I, I came across that book, oh, it must have been when I was early 20s and I was getting into performance nutrition in, in endurance sport because I used to work in rugby. Um, and mate, I think that, that has to be that uh, the Feed Zone Portables Guide with your with your rice cakes and all your other kind of portable eats. I think that's the, the most uh, recommended book um, I think I've, I've, I've given out, um, ever. Like when people ask me about books, that's the one I'm always linking to that. So it's great that's to so actually cool. just get you on the show. Um, so it's, it's, it's honestly, it, it is a winner. And I, I still sometimes log on to YouTube. I know they're pretty old videos now of you cracking those rice cakes, but sometimes you just need to, you need prompts and things. But if you're listening to this and you haven't checked that out, I'll put everything in the show notes um and if you do follow me you've probably been told about the book anyway but there's another couple isn't there there's one for kind of like family eats around the table and things it's it's the the, the most recent out of the the trio isn't it yeah and actually i think it's a really interesting one for people who haven't picked up our books and they're all the first one is a feed zone the second one is a feed zone portables and third one is feed zone table yeah and the interesting thing is there's a, you know, uh, Alan does a ton of research on the, the preface of the book and the overall theme of the book up front. Um, so, yeah, and you can really, it's really interesting. So when I was growing up, I grew up racing, you know, regionally racing bikes when I was in high school and college. And I just remember, like, there was no information available on how to cook or what to eat or how to make food, you know, when, you know back in the 80s and 90s. And the sports nutrition books that were out there were really, really uninteresting, unless you were a scientist or unless you were a nutritionist. And it was just really a lot of data, a lot of, you know, tables and graphs and a lot of really dense um, information, but very little inf- uh, inspiration. And when I started cooking, and I, my goal was to just make something really simple and beautiful that people would actually want to go home and make. Mm. And Granted, you know, you look at my books, they're very pretty, they're nice, but then you look at Jamie Oliver's books that are really sexy and glamorous and beautiful looking, but still very approachable food. You know, Jamie Oliver's books are not, you know, foams and smokes and, you know, crazy, uh, you know, plating. So I had always looked at what he had done with his food, too, as kind of an inspiration early on, because I love the way the guy cooked. <laughs> I, you know, so... Mate, it's... <laughs> it's interesting that my uh, my my fiance actually works for Jamie. 
still does her. Yeah, yeah, she does. So that so he so he has like uh, two hundred people or so um, that work for him, in yeah. in and they've got an office in London. She's work. She's we're working obviously from home at the moment. She she's on his social media team. So uh, I grew up obviously following him and his recipes, and now my um, my other half works for him. So he's kind of a big part of our lives. <laughs> but oh, yeah, yeah in okay. a good way though. It's cool. Somewhere. Either we've got to get him on a bike or we've got to get the two of us together cooking or something. <laughs> but uh, it was, when I was started working on this thing back in the uh, early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of other people that I thought understood fundamentally how to make delicious food without making it complicated. Yeah. And he was one of the few guys. You know, either the food, especially in the U.S., the food that you could see that was really simple looking and beautiful was really shit food. It's just really bad for you, really crappy, mm. you know, just really lazy. And, you know, I thought it doesn't have to be lazy and bad for you. No. It can be simple and it doesn't have to be only for really wealthy people. It could be, you know, normal ingredients for normal people who can just go pick up whatever you can get and make an awesome meal. And so let me give you a little backstory on this. So when I started um, working in food, I kind of started on my own because I hadn't seen you know, in the U.S., we had never heard of a chef in cycling. You know, the only chefs in cycling we'd seen were the guys at the Tour de France. We'd occasionally get a gl- glimpse of the chef that Greg LeMond and the Lavi Claire team had back in the 80s. Or later, um, the Belgian chefs that Lance and his teams had. But that was about it, you know, all through the 90s and early 2000s. And nobody else really had a chef. You know, you had the soigneurs who would cook for them, but nobody really had, you know. Mm. And... Being in the U.S., I felt like, man, there's got to be an opportunity to do that because also about the time um, NFL and NBA players and, you know, big pro uh, football players had um, a chef. But then again, it was one guy with one chef. It wasn't the whole team. And I always felt that there was an opportunity to do something there, but nobody was going to pay for it. There was no money in it. There's really no format or structure around it. And that's where I really started working on that in the early 2000s. And then worked with local friends, and uh, Jonathan Vodders was just starting what has now become the EF education team. Uh, Vodders and I grew up racing juniors together on the, here in Denver. So the funny thing is there's quite a few of us all grew up at the same time here in Denver. Me, Jonathan Vodders, Robin Thurston, who started Map My Fitness, um, Dirk Friel, who started Training Peaks. Uh, we were we were all juniors at the same time here in the same community. All right. So we've all known each, uh, known each other since we were like 15 to 18 years old. Um, cool. And so I, I saw an opportunity to do that, but nobody was going to pay me to do it. So I started doing construction work and I did, you know, working on homes and little by little eked it out. And then eventually went over to be Lance's chef and was Team Radio Shack chef. And that was our first big foray into um, cooking for teams and athletes Mm. and the interesting thing is cooking for Radio Shack in I want to say it was 2009-10 that is what then informed the most recent Feed Zone book uh, Feed Zone Table Uh, so what we discovered there was you know you go to a pro tour race you've got riders that are showing up from you know 10 different countries and ex- because everyone's on a different program, they've never really raced together except for maybe one or two guys. They, there's cultural differences, language differences, food, you know, all of it. And until recently, and I think social media has definitely helped, you know, all through the 90s, early 2000s, a lot of these guys never talked to each other. You know, you'd go to a team dinner and you'd have a very quiet team table. The coaches would be sitting at one table, the athletes are at one table. 
nobody really interacted. Teams definitely did not interact with each other. They kind of avoided each other because there was always, you look at races from the 70s and 80s, man, there was like, these dudes are going to battle. Yeah. You know, like they avoided each other. They set traps for each other. Um, and being an American, I was like, holy shit, this sucks. Like, this is what you guys do for a living. And you just kind of, you know, you r- ride your bike all day, then you go to sleep and you get up and don't talk to anybody and you just do it again. This looks like an awful way to live. Yeah. You know, so. Um, and I, I feel like we kind of helped change that culture definitely as European riders came to the U.S. a little bit. Um, so the Feed Zone Table, the most recent book that we put out, which came out now you know, four years ago, um, that one, the premise around it was getting people to eat together. Because mm. what we noticed was regardless of what they were eating or where they were from or what the deal was, the teams that actually ate together and hung out together a little bit performed significantly better. And more often than not, any team that we worked with ended up winning the races that we were working. And so we really made an effort to get the guys together, even for a few minutes, every single time we could. And that had a massive impact on their outcome. And I think people are seeing that a lot now while they're locked up at home and stuck with each other. Mm. And believe it or not, we're going to have, you know, there's going to be a lot of positive habits and results that come out of this time together, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think... People hear a lot about professional sport and nutrition and then the bells and whistles behind all the tools and tactics and stuff. But like you said there, um, you know, healthy, clean uh, food made, you know, meals fresh and things like that. But then just sitting down and eating them together, getting to know each other and things, it's massive. And it's the same over here. You know, there's a few, um, 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 you know, when I used to be in rugby, the, the teams that were, you know, performing the best, they would have certain socials throughout the year where they would get together and, um, you know, they'd have some big nights. And those were often the best teams because they just got to know each other and they wanted to play for each other. So it's, uh, yeah, it's about getting that balance, isn't it? Obviously, the food needs to be functional and you need to teach the rider or, or you know, the athlete or whatever, you know, what they're putting in. Um, but, man, that's massive. It's interesting that you were kind of at the, at the start of that, now looking yeah. at it because it's it's huge, um, yeah, and yeah. I was even reading recently, I didn't even know out in Japan, because obviously we've got a lot of time and I'm looking into sports and things and reading articles and stuff, the the cycling scene in Japan and the amount of money in it and all those kind of things. So it's interesting how you were there in the early 2000s and playing around with the, you know, the, the performance nutrition kind of like uh, food side. That's interesting. Because... Um, at the end of the day, no matter how interesting the science is, and particularly when it comes to food, mm. you know, no matter how interesting the science is, if you can't make it, you know, and if we're talking about juniors and 20-year-old athletes, we don't have any money to go eat every day, you know, right? You can't go to a restaurant every single meal of the day. You can't afford a coach. You can't afford a chef. So you got to learn how to make food for yourself. So how do we make really simple, nutritious, affordable food with a very, very limited set of skills and that's ultimately where every single recipe i've written comes from so if you look at some of the photos you know every single photo in all three of the books and there's hundreds of photos i think there's like 500 plus published recipes in in these three books plus you know i contribute to a ton of magazines and i write all the time and i cook all the food so the food you're looking at at the pictures was shot on the day of you know i made it on the day of the photo shoot and the final recipe you're reading was tweaked to make sure that the photo and I mean I was writing it as I was we were doing the photo shoot. So mm. you're looking at exactly what it is. 
which means some of the things you'd be looking at like, oh, I would have made this look sexier. I would have made it bigger and shinier. And It doesn't matter. This is what it's going to look like if you follow the recipe, right? And because most food books are kind of tricky. They're, they're staged and they're really highly produced. So you're looking at this beautiful, glamorous Facebook shot of food that's never going to turn out like that when you cook. No. And, yeah, and I wanted to make sure that our food was honest and the recipes are honest. And some of them are gonna, you're going to taste and be like, yeah, I can make it better. And that's the whole goal. I want you to make it better. But this is a starting point every dish. Yeah, definitely. And I think when I picked up the portables one especially, I could see, you know, even before I made some of these things, I recommended them that you can take them on the go. You know, yeah. you can you could you could eat them. Uh, like I'm I'm more into my trail running and things, but you know, sh- sandwiching them into kind of bits of uh, pockets of my kind of you know ultra running bag, it just works. And then telling yeah. people yeah. to wrap up some of their some of their foods and snacks when they're on the bike, it works. So that that's where you know I was drawn to it because, like you said, a few years before then when I'm studying in these big kind of you know exercise metabolism biochemistry books it's all important to know but like you said you just you don't come away with anything that's practical um so man that's interesting i I was um actually more recently i've been asking guests this because um like you said um at the moment people are trying to kind of change things or they've got some time uh to look at other things that they're not doing usually in life um you're obviously busy mate you've got experience in food uh starting a business and things like that how how do you learn new things are you a reader uh do you have a mentor do you uh take in a lot of podcasts you know how do you kind of assimilate information if you've got new ideas how do you kind of start to build on them have you got a bit of a process there yeah i mean i've got a little bit of a process um I do read a fair amount. I listen. I don't listen to music a lot. It's just one of those things. I I love listening to spoken word. So I listen to podcasts. I listen to audiobooks. I listen to you know interviews and stuff like that all the time. But lately, you know, as everybody knows, in the last six weeks, there's just been such an overabundance of bad news. Right? Every time you turn on anything, it's just bad. It's negative. It's bad. The world is ending. So I've had to really filter out a lot of that and make sure that I'm you know keeping things that are relatively positive and you know encouraging because this is one way or another the thing we're dealing with right now is going to end and some semblance of normalcy is going to return so we've got to start thinking ahead for that as well mm. um, i'm very much a hands-on person so i learn by doing things and i learn by making a lot of mistakes um in particular in cooking and it's funny like i am um, I was doing some, um, I was cooking with one of my good friends a couple days ago and trying to explain that when professional chefs cook, this is a big difference between professional chefs and home cooks. When professional chefs cook, we never expect it to be perfect, right? We never think it's going to come out perfect. We, every single dish we've ever made, even if we made it 10,000 times, we will make it and look at it and be like, damn it, I should have cooked it a little bit longer on this side, I should have waited this, I should have sauced it like that, you know? But home cooks, the first time you open up a recipe, the first time you make it, if it's not perfect, you're like, the world is gonna end. You know? <laughs> um, and that's the difference. Same, similarly with professional athletes, right? Yeah. Um, sport, sport uh, beginner athletes, you get really hard on yourself, you're really tough, because you, you're miserable all the time about like you didn't excel at it the first time you did it mm. professional athletes every single day they're making fine-tuning fine-tuning like damn it i could have done this better i could have started my sprint later i could have you know been in a different gear i could have drank all of it i think adjusting our expectations to reality is a big one so 
for me, I know that it's a constant process of getting better and getting better and getting better, mm. knowing that it's never going to be perfect. And that's, you know, being okay with that. Um, the latest, you know, I, I cook a fair amount. Um, I cook for myself. I cook with Alan. Um, cook with a handful of friends. Uh, typically when I cook at home, I keep food really, really simple. Uh, I make a lot of, obviously I make a lot of curry, uh, really simple curry bowls mm. of some sort. And being in the U.S., we love tacos, we love Mexican food. There's a whole lot of that. Mm. And you can make both very clean, very simple, very, you know, healthy. Um, and that's it. On the food side, that's a lot of what I do. But I've got my hands into a lot of things. And every day it's like starting over and learning learning how to walk again Mm, definitely yeah and I think I can relate to that in terms of a lot of people are um, over here there's this um, 5k so you basically run 5k and you donate five pounds to the NHS for for um, you know the healthcare service over here and it's a good thing and people are raising money but then obviously people are looking at their times as well and getting really frustrated and it's people that don't run a lot and you know, I, I tend to do the longer distance stuff, but I tell people 5K, it's not an easy run. You know, you're going, you're redlining the entire way because you're trying to run as fast as you can. But, you know, you've got a few months. We've got at least another three weeks here in lockdown. Take your time and practice and then go back and yeah. then. But, you know, you've got all these apps and things that record times and people get frustrated and stuff. But, yeah, that home cook professional chef thing. Yeah, I, I can relate to that massively because I'm I'm always trying to make dishes and yeah you get frustrated but actually like you said it's just about enjoying the process and eating eating together in this time as well um it's so special because we don't usually do it you know fast lunches people skip breakfast in the city out for dinner your mind's on other things you know etc whereas now you're actually sitting down a few times a day eating and and you know just finding pleasure in simple meals is great yeah, and uh, for folks that haven't seen the Feed Zone books or if you haven't picked up the Feed Zone table, definitely pick it up. Even if you just go to the bookstore, pick it up and leaf through the introduction of the book. Um, we did a lot of historical research from folks, from groups going into war. You know, Alan had originally done research all the way you know, back to the, the Romans and the Greeks going into battle. Folks, um, throughout history, when groups were going on a joint mission of some sort, whether it's athletes, whether it's military, whether it's, you know, whatever the families and showing parallels of the end result based on just a communal sitting together and having something. And it doesn't matter how complex or how extravagant the meal was. The idea was people just getting together with the purpose. And I grew up in the 70s and 80s where we never ate by ourselves, right? The family, as an immigrant family, first generation in the U.S., I came to the U.S. when I was 10, from India. So when we sat down to eat, you never just sat down and ate by yourself and then went watch TV and went to sleep. Mm. You waited till your, your, your parents were home. You waited till everybody was home. We all ate together. Everybody washed the dishes. Everybody cleaned up. I mean, of course, we all complained about it the whole time, but <laughs> you did it as a family, you know? You, everybody did it together. And I think as an adult now, for sure, we behave and we relate to each other differently. A big chunk is because of that. Mm. Um, and I feel, I've always felt, you know, sad for my friends who came from families where they didn't, they did the opposite of that, where, you know, there was really no structure around it. And partly I think it was because people felt like their cooking wasn't special enough or their food wasn't special enough to want to sit together. Just, you know, it's just calories. And 
something that I think a lot of folks don't really realize. If you talk to anybody, ask, you know, for you, what's your favorite childhood memory of food, Matt? Oh, I'd have to say it's festive period. So between uh, Christmas Day and New Year, Mum will do yeah. a, you know, one of those, uh, like, or I, I just call it sugar-baked ham, but you know what I mean? It's a big festive kind of Christmas yep. ham, and she'll put cloves, she'll, she'll put some kind of marinade on it, and I'll have that cold with potatoes that have been like sliced bit of cream put in the oven so that is just something that i cherish every year because i know when it's coming and it's something that we always do together as a family we'll have that uh, we might actually have that on christmas eve um thinking about it but anyway that period you know between between the 20th and the 30th of december that sticks out that those meals so what specifically that ham dish was your mother was she a really good uh, cook or is that just something she did during the holidays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I'm, I'm, I'm quite. I was quite lucky because she, she, and she still does. You know, cooks all the time. Home cook. She um, studied home economics years ago. Had a had a catering company when I was a baby. She doesn't do that anymore. But I was lucky to be similar to you. You know, we'd eat as a as a family if if dad was back from work. Yeah. Yeah. So, what uh, my point there was like, if you talk to anybody, anybody at all, they've got one favorite dish right as a child something from their childhood that whatever it was and the crazy thing is a lot of people it doesn't matter it's just what they grew up with at home right it could have been a burnt tuna fish sandwich but because their mom made it and because they got used to it that's become their favorite you know one of their favorite memories of being a child it could be something that now as an adult you would never make because you know there's some the ingredients are gross or the way that it's cooked it's wrong but it doesn't matter mm. and and I think for a lot of families, it's okay. It's whatever you grew up with, whatever your family's meal was, that is ultimately your favorite, one of your favorite memories and your favorite dish later in life. And it doesn't have to be, you know, meet any particular criteria at all. It just is what it is. The goal is, this is something I ate with my family. This is something I ate during the holidays. This is something that my mother made me. This is something, you know, that is ultimately the the whole point of cooking together and, and the time that we have right now together. The food doesn't have to be extravagant or expensive or ridiculously amazing. It just needs to have a connection that all of us are going to carry the rest of our lives. That's great. And is that something yeah. you, you, you thought about bringing to the menu at, at your um, at your first restaurant? I know obviously you, you're you looking to kind of expand. Um, is that yeah, something yeah. you thought of? Because obviously doing that on a, on a on a large basis and then getting strangers to come in and and enjoy good food you always kind of you want to be a storyteller as much as a restaurateur as well don't you absolutely and it's funny because my mom um my parents live in india they come here twice a couple times a year and uh so the food that i do at the restaurant is all very south indian kerala inspired and we do very fresh we don't we don't cook with any heavy dairy it's very light bright food Um, but we do a couple of fresh ground coconut chutneys right? very spicy very intense um and one of them we call it a samandhi right it's just it's kind of a made-up name for my region of the country mm. uh it doesn't really mean anything but we put it on the menu like that every time my mother's here she gets the biggest kick out of seeing you know blonde american girls coming up to the line and asking for samandhi <laughs> so that was really more of it was just kind of bringing small little interesting snippets and just adding another layer to the conversation and just making it interesting so oh, that's great no, that's really cool and especially so you yeah. got you're obviously not at the moment but then you you go and eat there 
and obviously you eat at home when when your family come over to, um from India as well. That's really cool, mate. I yeah, um, go on. I've had a lot of uh, a lot of the pro tour guys when they're in Colorado for training camps or staying here. You know, Ron Dennis. To, uh, <laughs> there's so many other guys that come through. Uh, Mickey Shar. Um, um, uh, Andrew McQuaid's here. I mean, he's been in and out of Denver a lot. You know, so over the years. McQuaid is running. Uh, which team is he running? He's got the he's got the Trinity team that he's running now over there, cycling team in the UK. But uh, cool. And then Taylor fin- Taylor Finney lives up the street, so he's been in and out of my shop all the time. But I've had a lot of athletes over the years. All yeah. the American boys are here all the time. So yeah, 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 yeah. Hungry guys after hours of training. Mate, that's really cool. And I, and I looked up. Uh, like I went, I went back onto a bit of YouTube and stuff because obviously. I just always grew up, now it's so easy, you can literally just flip over your phone, but I grew up kind of watching cooking shows with my mum, so like Jamie Oliver and other things, and that was obviously quite a, they were only on certain times when I was a kid, whereas now I can flip it open I can and I can watch you make the, the red chicken, I think it was, where you're marinating chicken <laughs> in a nice clean, yeah. you know, char-grilled rice, nice little bit of side salad. Um, for me, I, that's... I don't know. That's something that I do all the time. I have to just watch, and even like you said, it's even it doesn't have to be a professional chef or something. I just like watching people cook uh, little oh, snippets. So cool. YouTube's great for that, but it, it always used to be just cooking shows. Um, so uh, yeah, that's 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 what I was doing in preparation for this, watching you put that together. So um, uh, it's good stuff, man. I need to update those videos. I mean, they're definitely a little bit old. Uh, so I'm gonna the next few months. I'm gonna I'm starting a podcast. Yes. Um, I interviewed a bunch of business folks that are in the middle of transitions of either ending their business, starting over, rebuilding, rethinking. Uh, you know, I think, uh, if anything, this has given us all an opportunity to really look around and figure out what's important, right? What's mm. valuable, what's important, because it's all going to end at some point. So we may as well make the best of it and be, uh, you know, have a productive, good life while we're here. And that's kind of the theme of the podcast that I'm doing. And part of that is also um, I'm cooking a whole bunch of dishes and updating all of the videos. I, I didn't even, you know, I made the YouTube station years ago and I kind of forgot all about it and I need to put some more stuff up there. Hey, awesome. And that's something where, um, you know, what's, what's best to link to in the show notes for people listening um, in terms of following you at the moment. And then obviously as you start to update the content and the podcast goes out, people can continue to follow that, but where are the best places to get you at the moment? So uh, the best way to find me is uh, either Instagram or Facebook at Bijou the Chef. Um, and then uh, Scratch Labs. Um, if you go to scratchlabs.com, you can see a lot of our old recipes. There's tons and tons of content on there, uh, tons of ideas. All that's there. Velo Press, who publishes all of our books right now, are running a 20% discount um, on you know all of their entire library of books. Um and then in general, I know in the UK, uh, you get Diners and Drives, a TV show, right? The Food Network show. Yeah. Diners and Drives. And they show, I'm on one of their, you know, it's in the category of all-time favorite shows. And one of the episodes I'm on ends up being shown out there all the time. Oh, man, that's so awesome. I get, I get people emailing me from the UK, and then they show it in Africa, they show it in the Middle East. People emailing me all the time, like, I've never seen Indian food made with fresh ingredients. So... Um, but the best thing is, as I'm trying to figure out my life also, is just kind of follow Instagram, Bijou the Chef, and uh, I'll keep people updated on what's happening. Yeah, but it's great. You know, obviously, I, I found out about you through through the feed zone, the portables, and all the good stuff you're doing with Alan and things. And obviously, we connected on the 
on the call earlier before I started recording and then you're talking through your, your podcast and some of the other business um, opportunities and things you're looking at and, and some of the things you've done in the past so it's just it's interesting and the good thing about this format the kind of long form interview or whatever you want to call it you know you can you can learn a lot about people and um, no I think it's uh, yeah it's, it's great to just kind of chew the fat and, and, and you learn a lot about someone like I thought right you know you're into your recipes and uh, I can't wait to have a chat about that because obviously it kind of did a lot of, a lot of things for me in the mid 20s but then obviously you've got this podcast coming out and you've got more things so yeah it's good it's good to follow me it's good to follow the journey um do you know yeah, who yeah. you're who the kind the kind of people that you're going to be getting onto your show is it going to be something that you know one of these two three hour kind of episode podcast vibes or are you going to do little kind of tools and tactics short episodes have you started thinking about that? If people are going to follow follow your podcast in a few months? Yeah, the the goal on it is to speak to entrepreneurs um, and folks that are basically starting over, and whether that's in business, in sport, in life, you know, when you finally get to that moment where you're like, this isn't working, I need to make a giant pivot, and that's really what I'm going after because I, you know, during the course of my life, I've been an entrepreneur since I was in my twenties, and I've had you know multiple business startups multiple different projects. I taught myself how to cook and, you know, I grew up riding bikes, so I had to feed myself. Therefore I had to teach myself how to cook. Did that for a long time for a living, but also, um, my entire life I've been an inventor. I've like been building things and coming up with things and coming up with ideas for things. And there's a few devices out there that I've had my hands into developing. And there's, you know, I, I think the opportunity really is for people to kind of evaluate, um, you know, is the thing that I'm doing right now. And, you know, I posted this on Twitter the other day. We get into our 40s and 50s for sure. By the time you're in your 40s, we're so specialized in one thing. Like, if you were to go into the job postings right now, how many jobs would you really be qualified to do other than the thing that you're doing right now? Mm. And most of us really can't do shit, you know? Like, we're literally good at one thing and that's it. And it would be basically starting at minimum wage from the ground up again. So... My entire thought behind the podcast and the storytelling in the next few months is to meet with folks that are really successful at whatever it is they're doing now, but had to burn it down before and had to literally basically be at the worst, lowest point in life and had to find a way to start over. And that is the entire premise of their conversation and the entire premise of the podcast. Amazing. <laughs> Excuse me. So that's, that's the conversation going forward is, uh, reaching out to people that have had to really, really reinvent themselves, you know, whatever that means, business, family, life, sport, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate, that's so good. Perfect time to connect then, as, as like you said, yeah. you're kind of uh, starting to put this stuff together and there's always a bit of a silver lining, even though there's uncertainty around, like you said, your uh, restaurant side and, uh, you know, especially people like not rioting in the street, but, you know, going out and there's a bit of unrest, but it gives you some time to start to put a few other things together. So um, I think that's that positive message that you said at the start, you know, rings true throughout. And um, yeah, you're all, you, you know, you're looking for some good kind of angles to, to help benefit this process rather than just everyone goes in and hides and um, they get unwell and, and, and they're quite fearful. So that's why I wanted to continue the podcast and things too, just to just push something out there to give someone uh, information to listen to or connect with someone new who's very positive or has got a few things going on. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the people my end um, grabbing this episode and hopefully getting something good out of it. 
Yeah, man, I'd love to get back onto in a, in a few weeks once we're rolling. We did our first, uh, recorded our first episode of uh, Burn It Down yesterday um, in Boulder. So uh, we're working on some editing here, trying to figure out the look and feel of it. And then I've got quite a few. My, my dream is to basically just have a caravan and I'm driving around the U.S., visiting friends, visiting people that I know and, sh- you know, taping small bits uh, yeah. as I go. Mate, it could work. It could work because you know if if you've got something good, you you know you you flow very easily. Charismatic person. You've got a lot of different things to cover. You know we've only just met and literally connected ten minutes before we started, and it's easy flowing conversation. So I think it will do really well, and you see a lot of shows pick up, and it just gives people opportunity to kind of um, you know run these kind of things and, and podcasts. They're massive over here now. I know the big guy in the US, Joe Rogan experience and things like that has kind of transcended everything in terms of like, and, and Tim Ferriss and all some of those guys. But even over here, you know, there's people that, that are doing these things full time now, you know, certain podcasts. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's exciting. That's That's yeah. It was full time and uh, get out of the kitchen. But we'll see. It's a transition. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, awesome. Look, cool. All right, lovely yeah. people. Thanks so much for listening. I'll put all the information you need in the show notes. And um, so that'll be the Instagram, the Twitter, the Feed Zone Portable Books um, and Scratch.com for the recipes and things. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll roll with that. And uh, BG, mate, thanks so much for your time. And, um, yeah, obviously looking forward to hearing hearing the uh, the new pod and then it'd be great to get you back on, mate. If, you, if you've got the time, we just need to obviously square away because we're seven hours different. So I want to make sure that I get it right so I'm not waking you up at like two or three in the morning or something mad. Yeah, no worries. I'd love to come back on, man. Matt, uh, thank you so much for having me today. This was, this was lovely, sir. Decent. Cool. All right, lovely people. As always, keep listening. And uh, you get 10% off with Matt 10 with 33 Fuel, the guys over there producing natural and powerful sports nutrition products. So have a healthy week and we'll speak soon.